All right. So good to see all of you here this morning. We're glad that you came to worship with us today. If you are a guest of ours, we're especially glad that you're here. If you wouldn't mind, there's a communication card in the seat back in front of you. You can fill that out and drop it in one of the wooden boxes on the way out. We'd love to get to know you a little bit better and help you to get to know living water a little bit better. So if you would this morning, get your Bibles out, turn to Ephesians chapter 4 as we continue our study through the book of Ephesians uh, today. As you're turning there, I've got just a couple of quick announcements of things that are coming up. Just want to let you know, first of all, that October is a very, very busy month. Uh, so look at the newsletter so you can keep track of what's going on. You can go to the website and look at upcoming events so you can keep track of all that. But coming up this next Friday night is our father-son campout. If you haven't signed up for that, we really need you to sign up for that so that we can see who all is coming. Uh, and I know in the past that so we've had some that couldn't stay all night, but they wanted to come Friday night and be a part, and that's perfectly okay for you to do that. But we do ask that you just go in and sign up. It's not real hard so that we can have an accurate number of who's coming so that we can be uh, prepared for that. So please do that. Also, uh, we have a chili cook-off that's coming up, and we have our fall festival that's coming up. And so if you would like to bring candy for the fall festival, then please start doing so. You can drop it off here on Sunday mornings. You can drop it off at the well, uh, wherever you find yourself. But uh, we are looking forward to those events. So you glad to be here today? As I uh, told the early service, as Shane was up here leading, it brought back a lot of uh, old memories uh, of 20 plus years ago. As Shane was a worship pastor when I was pastoring in liberal Kansas. And I remember when he came up, just this young little punk kid. But at that time, we, we wore suits. This is what I shared the first service. We wore suits, so you can see him leading in a suit and tie. That was always fun to watch. But that was the first service. This service, I was sitting there picturing. I was in the back. I was looking. And this is the memory that came in the second service. He always had a choir behind him. And Shane loved working with the choir in the worship. That was his favorite part of the week, right? Oh, no? <laughs> Sorry, I misunderstood. I, I, I thought that was the favorite part of the week. We got a lot of stories there, but we won't share any of those uh, as we go through uh, today. But again, Ephesians chapter 4, as we continue in our study through the book of Ephesians, this book of Ephesians was a letter that Paul wrote uh, many believe to the church at Ephesus, but it's not, it doesn't actually say that. So some think that this was a letter that went to Ephesus, but it went out to others so that a lot of other people uh, would read this letter and they would know because it really is a very important letter. And it was written probably around 60 AD at a time when Paul was most likely in prison. And I want you to keep in mind that during that time that this letter was written, it would have been... Uh, ordinary or natural for the early Christians to wonder if the gospel of Christ was limited to the Jews or somehow the Jews, the Christian Jews, now had a special favor because they were Jews and they had found the gospel. And so Paul is writing this letter to all the people to let them know that in the kingdom of God, in God's kingdom, there's not one that is greater than another that we are all equal in God's kingdom. 
As a matter of fact, there's not first-class citizens, second-class citizens, third-class citizens in the kingdom of heaven. And actually, I said it wrong, said it wrong both services. There are only first-class citizens in God's kingdom. There's not second-class, third-class. And as we're going to see in a moment that God gifts each one of us to do special things within the body of Christ, and there's not one gift that's above another gift, that they're all equal and they're all useful in building up the body of Christ. Again, keep in mind the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians uh, are what we call the doctrinal passages. They're reminding us of our relationship with Christ, who we are in Christ. And it's an exciting thing as we look back and we see how wonderful it is and how blessed we are to be a part of God's family. And God allows us to be a part of His family because He gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. And through our relationship with Jesus Christ, now we're restored to the family of God. Now we are part of God's family if we have accepted the gospel of Christ. If we have accepted what Christ has done for us on the cross. So today, if you are a follower of Christ, you know that Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life, then you are part of God's family. But today, you haven't come to that point. Maybe you're seeking, you're just looking, you're checking things out, and is this Christ thing really real, and you're not quite there yet? Well, then you're not part of the body of Christ yet. But we pray that today would be the day of salvation. Today, God would allow you to see who He truly is and who you truly are to the point that you come to know Him as your personal Lord and Savior. But as we go through this passage today, Paul is talking to those that have made that decision. They're followers of Christ. They're living for Christ. They're following Him. They are part of the body of Christ. And he wants them to know that when you have placed your faith and trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ... That is, Jews and Gentiles alike, we are all now part of the body of Christ. Now, we see that mentioned several times through the book of Ephesians. He's calling the church, he's calling those believers, those followers of Christ, the body of Christ. And we're not just part of the body of Christ, but we're an equal part of the body. So, last week we took a look at the first six verses of chapter 4, and we noticed that as Christians we are called to walk a walk that is worthy. We're called to be worthy in humility, worthy in our attitude, and worthy in unity as we live out our calling in the body of Christ. And now he's going to continue on. He's going to pick up from there, and he's going to make a shift, if you would, and he's going to show us what this looks like, how this plays out in our lives, what our role is in the body of Christ, what our role is as we love each other, we work in unity together, and we help build up the body of Christ. So look at me, if you would, again, Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to jump back to where we were last week. I'm going to read beginning in verse 1, just so you can see how all this works together. He says, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body, one Spirit, 
just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Let's pray together as we begin to break this down. Father, we thank you today for your word. God, I thank you for your word that teaches, your word that encourages, your word that guides, your word that convicts. And God, I pray that today as we look at your word and we begin to break down this passage this morning, that you would just speak through me. God, that I would just be your vessel that you use to speak your truth as we all need to know your truth. God, I pray that our ears would be open, our hearts would be receptive, to what you have to say. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So Paul says at the beginning that we are to live our lives in a special way. We're to live our lives with unity in the body as we help build up the body. And as he talks about how to live our life in a worthy way, in verse 7 he begins with the word however. Now that word however is there. It's an important word. It's a connector and it indicates that there is a shift or there is a change in direction, if you would. So Paul says that in the body of Christ, we are all one. We walk in unity as one body. We come together as one body. We worship together as one body. We are one body together. But then he says, wait, there's more. There's more to this, and he begins to make a shift. You are one in one body. You come together, you are one together, but each one of you has been given a special gift. Each one of you has a special role to play within that body and within unity in that body. So he's saying, walk together in unity, however, there's more that you need to know. 
Now, I'm sure that most of you today have heard the name Arnold Schwarzenegger. Anybody know that guy? So if, if I could do it, I could imitate his voice. And as soon as I imitated his voice, you would know exactly who I'm talking about because he's got one of those unique voices that's out there. Now, if I did that, you'd be wondering who I was talking about because I couldn't do it in a good way. But Arnold Schwarzenegger is one of the greatest bodybuilders of all times. And when Arnold was young, he decided that he was going to be the greatest bodybuilder in the world. And he accomplished that goal in 1970 when he became Mr. Olympia when he won that competition. Known as the greatest bodybuilder at that time, of all times. And he went on to win even more competitions. There was a time that I was reading about that a few years later he got into making movies and he was making a movie that he needed to lose some weight for. And he made the movie and now it's getting close to that Mr. Olympia competition and so he wanted to win that competition again. But there's a new guy coming on the scene by the name of Lou Ferrigno. And Lou Ferrigno is making his name known, he's working his way up, and he's going to be in that competition. And so Arnold Schwarzenegger begins to work out so that he will be prepared for that Mr. Olympia competition. Matter of fact, they made a documentary of his workout showing his routine and everything that he went through in order to get to that point where he could win that competition. And he did win that competition again. The Guinness Book of World Records says this about, Lou, or about Arnold Schwarzenegger. He says that he is the best developed man in the world. What a compliment, right? I mean, I thought I was... No, never mind. He was the best developed man in the world. Wouldn't that be incredible? Now, here's a couple things I know that you would have to do in order to reach that kind of level. Arnold got it in his mind that this is what he wanted to do. And there was a couple things that I know he had to do. One, he had to work at it. He didn't just pray one day, God, would you make me uh, the greatest man, have the best body in the world? Would you do that? And then he woke up one morning and that happened. It's not the way God's doing it. He had work to do. I, and I know that because I've prayed that many times. God has not answered that prayer. But he had to put work into it. But the other thing that I know is that he had to have an understanding of the way that the body functions together. He had to have an understanding of the different muscle groups. And he had to have an understanding of how the different muscle groups would work together so that each muscle group could accomplish what he wanted it to accomplish. And the same is true in the church. Again, Paul says that you are the body of Christ. And Christ is building up the body. And in order for us to be the greatest body that we can be, then we have to know that there's work to do, but we also have to understand how the body functions together, how there's different roles for different parts of the body, and how those bodies or those parts come together to build what I believe should be and could be the greatest program in the world. Where Arnold's body was looked at as a great human body, the world ought to be looking at the church going, that is a great spiritual body. Working for God and making a difference in the world. And that's kind of the image that Paul is giving us when he keeps saying that you are part 
of the body of Christ. So I want us to break this down a little bit this morning, and we're going to be looking back at these verses, and I want us to begin with this thought, that each one of us has been given a special gift. If you are part of the body of Christ, and I need to emphasize that, if you are part of the body of Christ, then you have been given a special gift. Look back at verse 7. He says, however, He has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. He has given who? He has given each one. Every person that's in the body of Christ has received a special gift. Now, how many of you like receiving gifts? Raise your hand. All right, four of you. And the rest of you are lying. Because we all like to receive gifts. We give gifts at birthdays. We give gifts at Christmas time. But some of the greatest gifts that I have received are those gifts that have come for no reason whatsoever. Where somebody was just thinking of me and saw something and said, you know what? That would be useful. That would be something that he could put to use. And they buy this gift and they say, hey, I got a gift for you. Now, I also know that sometimes we get gifts that are useful, but sometimes they're not so useful, right? Anybody ever got a gift that wasn't useful? You looked at it, don't raise your hand because the person next to you probably gave it to you. So we look at that gift and we say, what in the world am I going to do with that? And so we throw it aside. Or we re-gift it. Re-gifting's great, isn't it? We can get rid of those things we didn't like, that we didn't want, we can pass it on to somebody else that won't like it or want it either. And that's all re-gifting is. So we, we re-gift to somebody else or we put it on a shelf and we don't use it. And Paul says that you have been given a gift. And notice how he words it. He said you've been given a special gift out of the Lord's generosity. Out of the generosity of Christ. That word generosity speaks to me and says this gift is valuable. It is a special gift, meaning it is a gift that we are to use. It is a gift that's special, and it is valuable. Not a gift that we just want to put aside. Not a gift that we want to hide and not put to use. It is a gift that is valuable to us each and every day. And valuable in building up the body of Christ, as we will see in just a moment. So he's reminding us that we have a gift. We all have a gift. And this gift is a gift with a purpose. It is a gift with a reason behind it. God has got a reason. He's got a purpose for us. And He wants us to use that gift. So don't just throw it aside. Don't hide it. Don't just waste it. Because this gift that He has given us is to be used for your personal edification, but also for the edification of the church. It is to be used for your improvement but also for the improvement of the church. It is for building up your body spiritually, but it is also for building up the church body, the spiritual body of Christ as well. It's not to be kept to yourself. It's not to be hidden. It is to be put to use. Now, I've heard people over the years say, you know, I don't, I don't need the church. Matter of fact, I had a lady at the first this week who told me that she's been kicked out of most churches than most people ever have. And I'm kind of weird. But she went on to say that I don't need the church. And usually when people say that I don't need the church, they have a reason behind it. But what they're really saying is that I have no need for accountability within the body of Christ. I don't need the church. And while there may be 
truth in a statement that says, I can be a Christian without being involved in the church. There's some truth in that, but that is not the way that God designed us. God designed us to be a part of His body. A part of building up the body of Christ. And He has given us special gifts to help build up the body. Can you imagine if you were walking down the street one day and you're just out having a nice little stroll and all of a sudden a hand walks by? Just a hand. Nobody. This, this hand. Now we laugh at that because we know that that could never happen, right? Because the hand can't walk by itself. And so the hand that's disconnected from the body is not able to function as the hand was designed to function. But sometimes we get in our mind that we're part of the body of Christ, but I can function without being connected to the rest of the body. And that's just not the way that God designed it. And you will not function as God has designed you to function apart from the body. So I want you to understand this today. You need the church. Right? You need the church. And guess what? The church needs you. The church needs you. Because when part of the body is missing, the rest of the church is affected. When part of the body is not doing what it's designed to do, what it's being gifted to do, then it affects the rest of the church. And he says that these gifts have been given, they're special gifts, and they've been given out of the generosity of Christ, so they are valuable gifts. And I want you to notice what he says as we continue on and pick up in verse 8. He says, that is why the Scripture says, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now what's he talking about? He's talking about the one that descended that is Christ, when He came to that manger in Bethlehem, when He came into this world, He lived a sinless life. He went to the cross. He died in my place, in your place. He, he died for our sins. He went to the grave. He conquered the grave. And now He is victor. Now when Paul is using this, he is quoting out of Psalms 68. Psalm 68 is a psalm of praise that was written after a great victory had taken place. Now when a victory would take place, the king would go and he would take the spoils of the enemy. They would take some of the enemy captive. And any of the people that were part of his kingdom that had been taken captive previously by the enemy, now he sets them free. And so what he does is he takes them and they have a parade. And they parade those that they have taken captive, but they also parade those that have now been set free. Can I remind you today that we were once held captive by the enemy who is Satan. And he has held us captive, separated from God. But when Jesus Christ conquered death, hell, and the grave, then we were set free when we come to know Him as our personal Lord and Savior. We are set free. And so it's like we're now in this parade where we were once captive, but we are no longer captive. And he goes on to say that this one that led the crowd, this great crowd of captives, he gave gifts 
to His people. When we come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are His people. And now that Christ has conquered all the things that I just mentioned, He has now ascended into heaven where it says He is above all the heavens. You know what that means? He's saying He is above all. He is above everything. And it's this one who is above everything that now continues to give. Remember, we we have the gift of salvation, but the giving doesn't stop. And now He continues to give. And now He gives us great things to do in the body of Christ. Valuable things. He gives these gifts to us. So remember, Jesus is the victor. And Paul points this out in this passage. He reminds us of that. Wanting us to realize who we are in Christ and how blessed we are in Christ. And now the privilege that He gives us to help in building the church. Now, I don't want you to get confused here. i got to make this very clear. Our role is not to build the church. It's not our role. That is the role of Christ. Remember when Christ was restoring Peter? Talking about Peter's faith? What did Christ say? He said, I will build my church. That's his role, is to build the church. And he says, when I build the church, even the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. So Christ is building the church. And he is still building the church to this day. Our role is not to build the church. But God is using us in different ways to help minister to other people as Christ continues to build the church. Now, that should take a lot of weight off of us, right? Because if you come in with your mind that, man, I'm responsible for building the church, that's a heavy load. And Christ has that load. And guess what? He is very capable of doing it. But He allows us the privilege to be a part of what He's doing as He builds the church. Second thing I want you to see is that we are uniquely equipped to serve. You know, several places in Scripture, you can look and you can see the different gifts that Jesus gives to His followers. You can find those gifts in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 13, 1 Corinthians 12, 27 through 31, 1 Peter 4, 9 through 11, as well as here in the book of Ephesians. And while each one of those lists mention different gifts, they're not all exactly the same. And we hopefully understand that each gift is important and has a specific purpose. But Paul lists five gifts in this passage that we want to run through real quickly this morning. Beginning in verse 11, he says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So he goes through this list. He said, hey, here's, here's five that I want to point out to you. And they have a very specific role. And I want us to break it down just a little bit so we can see what their specific role was. So first of all, he mentions the apostles. Now the word apostle means one who is sent with a commission. Jesus had many disciples, but out of those disciples, he selected 12 to be his apostles. A disciple is a follower. A disciple is a learner. But an apostle is a divinely appointed representative. The apostles were to give witness of the resurrection. And therefore had to have seen the resurrected Christ 
personally. There are no apostles in our world today in the strictest New Testament sense. These men helped to lay the foundation of the church. The foundation laid by the apostles and the prophets. And once the foundation was laid, that role was no longer necessary. However, in a broad sense of the term, all Christians have an apostolic ministry. Jesus said, as my Father has sent me, even so I send you. But that does not make us apostles. That just means that we have a story to tell. We have a witness to tell. If Jesus Christ has changed your life, you have a personal story to tell of your encounter with Jesus Christ. It doesn't give you the title apostle, but it tells you that there's an apostolic ministry. Secondly, he mentions prophets. We commonly associate a prophet with predictions of future events, but this is not the primary function. A New Testament prophet is one who proclaims the Word of God. So when you think of prophets, you look back at the Old Testament prophets. They were given a word from God so that the people would know what God is doing. Here's what the future is. Here's where God's going with all this. And to prepare people, to prepare the world for what God was up to. Now in the New Testament time, when the New Testament church began, there was no Bible like we have a Bible today. The New Testament wasn't even completely written at that time. And so there were prophets that would help people understand the mystery of God's Word. That's the way that Paul worded it, the mystery, to help people understand what God was saying. But again, they were there to help lay the foundation of the church. And now that the foundation of the church is laid, we have the written gospel that we can read. We have the Holy Spirit that helps us to understand. And we have others that we will see in just a moment. So those two, in the sense that we see it in Scripture, are no longer needed because they've already done their role in helping lay the foundation of the church. But then he continues on. And he says that there are evangelists. Now evangelists are those who are divinely gifted to preach the good news of salvation of Jesus Christ. These are the ones that are quick to share Christ with others in a way that they come to know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. One of the greatest evangelists of our time who's now gone on to be with the Lord is a man by the name of Billy Graham. Most of us would know the name Billy Graham. And he, he just had a way that he could stand up and he could deliver God's Word. It didn't matter which passage he preached out of. He could preach God's Word and thousands of people would come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. Over the years, I've met many people who came to know Christ through the ministry of Him. And so, you have evangelists like that. I have a good friend of mine. He's older now. He's not able to do what he used to do, but this was one of the greatest evangelists that I was ever with personally. We'd go to a restaurant together, and before we even had time to order our food, we just ordered our drinks, before we had time to order our food, he could be talking to the waiter or waitress, and he would have them at a point where they were ready to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I would look at him and go, man, how come I couldn't do that? Sometimes I was looking at him and go, man, why didn't you wait till after the meal? I was hungry. But he just had a gift, a way to do that. He was a gifted evangelist, and he could share the gospel in a way that people would receive it and they were ready to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then he goes on to say, and there are pastors and teachers. 
pastors. They are the under-shepherds of God's flock whom He has placed within their care. They are specifically gifted and enabled to guide, to protect, to feed, and to lead the sheep through all kinds of challenges of life. And there are the teachers, those that are gifted to expound on God's Word, explaining and interpreting what it means for instruction, for correction, for exhortation, for encouragement. And they hopefully do so in a way that can make a confusing passage clear. And hopefully not take a clear passage and make it confusing. There are some that can do that in a real good way. But he said, here's these gifts that I want you to see. And the reason that he points these out here, because again, he's talking about the role of the church. He's talking about the body of Christ. He's talking about how this is supposed to look, how this is supposed to be. And he brings these out as these are the ones that are laying that foundation of the church that will continue on for years and years and years. And here we are over 2,000 years later still building upon that foundation that these were gifted to help be a part of and lay. They had a very important role. So how long will this continue? Well, I'm glad you asked because he goes on and answers that question. Look at verse 13. He says, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. How long is this going to continue? Well, it's going to continue till every person that's been saved is saved, till every Christian, every person that has been saved is now in the fullness of Christ, looking like Christ, acting like Christ, thinking like Christ in every way. And what that tells me is that there's no retirement plan in God's plan because we won't get there fully until we are in heaven with Him. So until we are in heaven with Him, so that means if we've got breath in our lungs, God has a plan and a purpose for us. That plan and that purpose may change a little bit over the years as God continues to use us, He continues to mold us. We go through different seasons of life, but God has a plan and a purpose for you. And you need the church, and the church needs you. All right, let's continue on. Third thing that I want you to see what is the goal? Well, the goal is a healthy body. Look back at verses 14 and 15. He says, Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. He said, so here's the goal. We're going to keep doing this till we have mature believers. Here's what happens with an immature believer. They can be blown around whichever way the wind blows. That's the direction they're going to go. They can be tripped up by those that come in and they just have a good word that sounds good to the ear but is not really what God's word says. And they start to follow that. They can follow that and they can fall away. They can go down that path. That's what an immature person would do. But a mature person would actually stand firm. A mature person would be stable in the way that they stand. Because we would no longer be immature like that. We would be mature and we would be knowing God's truth. It kind of gives the image of an infant to an adult. So an infant that's young, they need people to 
guide them, to take them, to direct their path. But as they continue to grow and mature, they finally get to the point where they can do things themselves. And so that's kind of the image that he gives here. So that's the goal that we will continue to grow and to be a healthy body. But I don't want you to miss this. Look back at verse 15. He says, instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full in love. So he's given this image now. we got this body and Christ is the head of the body. And we are, continue, we are to continue to grow in our faith, to grow in our walk, until we look like who? Christ. When we look like Christ, we will act like Christ. We will sound like Christ. We will behave like Christ. That is the goal. That is what a healthy body is. What a healthy body looks like. And he goes on to say that this head, which is Christ, puts the body together in a perfect way. So that each place, each person, has their perfect spot. Now when I think about the human body, it just amazes me of how God designed this human body. And how this body functions and works together so that we can live our lives the way that we live our lives. And everything is like it's supposed to be. It's an amazing thing, the human body, right? But just as God put this human body together... He is still actively involved in putting the church together, the spiritual body, the body of Christ. And He is putting each one in the perfect spot. Now, I'd look kind of funny if I had a hand on top of my head, right? I'm glad God didn't do that. We would look funny if we had parts out of place, and sometimes it happens and it's unfortunate and sad, but when God's putting the church together, He's putting everyone together in their perfect place. And He's gifting them with a special gift that they can use not only to help build themselves up, but to help build up the other parts of the body so that the body can function correctly together so that this can happen, the last three words in this chapter. Look back at those last three words. So that we can be full of love. Now again, I want to make the connection. In the first six verses that we looked at, we are to walk worthily. And the way that we do that, we walk in unity as one body. We walk together. And here's what I know. If we are not full of love, then unity is hard to happen, right? It's hard for us to walk together when we're not loving one another. But as we continue to grow in God's Word, we continue to build up the body, the body continues to grow to become more and more like Christ, we continue to build, and our love continues to build. And as our love continues to build, now we are able to go back over here and work better with one another in unity as we continue to help build the church. The body does its part. Each person does their part using the special gift so that we can look more and more like Christ. So now that we can have that love of Christ that he talks about here at the end, full of love, so that now we go back and we continue to work in unity with one another. You see where I'm going? It's that never-ending circle. So I would say this, if we don't have unity with one another, we probably don't have the love of Christ like we should have. And as we're growing and building, 
That is where he's taking us to. And he's got a place for each one of us. He's got a purpose for each one of us. The question would be, how are we doing? How am I doing in my role as part of the body of Christ? What is it that I'm supposed to be doing? Again, God has gifted each and every one of us with a special, valuable gift. And I would say this, if you're struggling, you don't know what your gift is, Shane, a couple of months ago, sent out a uh, questionnaire that helped you discover what your spiritual gift is. And he, he's willing to do that again. He'll make that available. You can do that. Um, sometimes we don't need that. We know what God's gift is for us. And God wants to use that gift. So here's our answer to God today. This is the answer that we should have is yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. So today, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, He's drawing you unto Himself, your answer today is yes, Lord. Yes, I want to be a part of God's family. I want to be a part of that body. You're a part of that body. You've made that decision. You're a Christ follower. And He has gifted you. And He wants you to use that gift but that requires you saying, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Whatever way you want to use me, whatever gift I have, I want to use. Because I don't want to put it on a shelf. I don't want to hide it. I want to be used in helping build up the body of Christ so that the body of Christ begins to look like Christ and act like Christ and love like Christ. Yes, Lord. Let's pray together. Today as we go into this time of prayer, then I would just challenge you. Ask God, God, what do you want me to see through this today? God, what is this for me? God knows your heart. He knows you better than I ever would. And today, if he is calling you to salvation, then would you say yes to him? The greatest decision you could ever make in your life. Today, maybe he's calling you out and saying, I've gifted you. And I need you to use that gift to help build up the body. Would you say yes to him today? Whatever way he leads, would you just be open to him? Father, we thank you today again for your word. We thank you for the encouragement through your word. We thank you for the conviction through your word. We thank you for all that you do for us. And God, I pray that right now our hearts would just be still, that we would allow you an opportunity to show us what you would have us to see. And then, God, we would be quick to respond to you in whatever way that you lead us in our life. God, we love you. We thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you for the gifts that you have given us to help build up the body. We thank you for just allowing us that privilege to be a part of the body. And, God, we look forward to what you're going to do through your body in the days ahead. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.